I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Kat Calvin, the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote, an organization dedicated to helping Americans get the ID they need to vote and to simply function in our society. Kat Calvin joins me to discuss the ways in which the coronavirus outbreak is affecting people in vulnerable populations, like the people that Spread the Vote helps. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kat Calvin. Kat Calvin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I should say welcome back because you were one of my very first guests on the electorate, you know, back in what, like 1973. <laughs> pandemic I don't even remember those days. It was just a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you know, you are, in case people have forgotten, the founder and director of Spread the Vote. I am. Right? And your org, um, you know, which helps people get the ideas that they need to live and exist in the society. And since then, you've grown by leaps and bounds. So how many people have you helped since then? That is a good question. So we, uh, I think before the pandemic hit, we were just about at 5,000 IDs, which was super exciting. We're in 12 states now and uh, yeah, have been working really hard. Yeah, I know because I think when we talked and and seriously, I think it was 2017, you were just, I think in your second or third state. So that's Mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how much has happened uh, in, what has it been? Three, four years, a hundred years? I don't even (laughs) know. No, I don't remember life before 2017. But yeah, it's been good. I have an amazing team and we've been able to, uh, you know, once we really built the program and like, you know, figured out what we were doing and how to do it and really sort of built up this whole system um, and realized how impactful it was in people's lives. It really gave us the drive to to grow as, as much as we were, were able to, uh, to keep helping people get ideas. Yeah. And since then, you and I have become friends. Um, it was just a funny story. I won't go into that, but it's, <laughs> we ran into each other at a conference and then we decided to ditch the conference and go have drinks, which you don't remember that, but I, I remember very well. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those people, people are always like, oh, how did you meet your friend? And I'm like, I don't know. I think they've just always been around. I never, I never remember the meet cutes. It's really sad. <laughs> no, that's okay. But, but so because we're friends, we talk a lot offline and we talk a lot yeah. about what's been happening, especially in relation to the pandemic. And you and I started talking about organizations like yours, you know, organizations that help people who are on the margins, who've been pushed to the margins of society, you know, how those organizations are struggling to stay open, right? You know, just like all the other businesses we were talking about, you know, we talk a lot about restaurants and movie theaters and all this stuff, but nonprofit organizations are struggling to function following the pandemic. So what are you hearing about that on the ground? A lot of panic. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's it's similar to, I mean, well, frankly, everybody right now, right, is is sort of in full crisis mode. I am because we've had to, you know, essentially shut down large parts of the economy. I think what happens with nonprofits that people may or may not think about is that, you know, we depend on the donations of both, you know, foundations and very, very wealthy people who don't give when the market is down because that's where all their money is. So I was uh, told last week that an extremely large, very well-known foundation lost $4 billion in the last few weeks, you know, and like that's, even though they still have like 10 billion, you know, that's a really big deal. And so, so they, you know, those uh, donations can sort of scale down and, and during economic crises and during, you know, the depression that's probably going to follow from this, but nonprofits also really depend on, you know, small dollar donations. I'm, you know, we have a lot of people who give five, ten, twenty dollars online, or give you know ten dollars a month or whatever, and it makes a huge impact because those 
all add up. But when you have a situation where people aren't working or are scared for the future or whatever, then those things really slow down. Um, and because we're nonprofits, if our donations dry up, then there aren't really any other options. And so then you end up with, you know, uh, nonprofits that are shutting down, et cetera. Um, and because of the nature of nonprofits, we can't operate with incredibly large margins. Although we were lucky, um, and, and thanks to the lobbying of a lot of uh, sort of larger nonprofits, because usually nonprofits are forgotten in things like stimulus plans. And in the first two, they, we were. Um, and then this last one, they made some provisions. They're still incredibly difficult for nonprofits to be able to access, and most won't. But there's, you know, so there's a lot of concern, you know, because we all have missions we really care about and people we're serving that, you know, in most cases, no one else is or is in the area or whatever, you know, where we have sort of critical work we're doing, but we also have staff who we love and who we don't, you know, want to lay off and, and who we, we want our organizations to survive. And, you know, we're sort of in the same place as every other, you know, small business in America that really doesn't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So you answered one of my later questions about whether, you know, nonprofits were taken care of in the stimulus package. And it sounds like there were some provisions. So that that's good news, at least. There was. Yeah. So uh, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, um, they put aside, I think, $500 billion for something called the Paycheck Protection Plan, PPP, which essentially means that any small business or nonprofit in the country can apply for two and a half months of payroll as a loan, but the loan will be forgiven if you don't uh, lay off your staff through the end of June. There are some issues with that. Like You have to do it through a bank and some banks don't do it. And a lot of nonprofits bank with smaller banks that won't do it. And there's just much more need uh, than there is capacity. And the SBA is not set up to give nonprofit loans. So there's there's a lot of questions about how this is going to work and if anyone's actually going to get this kind of funding. But they did open it up to 501c3s, which was really great. Yeah. Another thing we've been talking about offline is the fact that, and I've talked to other women who run organizations about the fact that presidential years are hard anyway, because a lot of people stop giving to nonprofits and they start giving to presidential candidates. And, you know, since we're kind of in this political crisis right now, you know, everybody is just throwing their money <laughs> at presidential campaigns. Right. And which is, you know, understandable. But there are people who are hurting who need the, the help of organizations like yours. Yeah, well, and, you know, for us, it's the exact opposite. So for us, because we are mostly seen as a civic org, and I think we sort of see ourselves differently, but we're positioned as a civic org. Presidential years are good years because they're the only years that people remember that voting is a thing and that <laughs> voting orgs exist. Yeah. Uh, so 2019 for us and for a lot of other orgs like us was very, very, very hard because people were giving to primary candidates and whatever else, and people sort of forget that helping people vote and get IDs and all of the things that that is actually really hard work that takes a long time. And so so we actually, we had some friends who went out of business last year. We had really hard challenges. You know, it was a very difficult year. And so this year was supposed to be the year that for the civic orgs that really struggled last year, that we would be able to do enough fundraising to really accomplish our missions. And so now... That's sort of, you know, both at risk, but also it's one of the reasons that I think a lot of political and civic nonprofits are more at risk than they might have been because we're all coming off of a pretty, pretty heartbreakingly bad 2019. And so we have almost zero reserves. And so, you know, but that's, you know, for other orgs, you know, I've talked to friends who run climate change nonprofits or other things. And last year might have been a little better, although it was still a struggle for a lot of folks. But now this year, you know, they knew that it was going to be down because 
you know, donors, there's so many challenges that people just have to pay attention to what they feel is urgent at the moment, right? Because everyone can't give to everything. And I totally get that. But it does mean that we all have these sort of ebbs and flows of funding that are challenging on any day, but then they make it especially challenging in situations like this. Not that there's ever been a situation like this. <laughs> Yeah. So just going back to the focus of your org and because another thing we started to talk about was ways in which this pandemic is affecting democracy generally in a really broad sense. And in order to do anything in this country, you actually need an idea. And I, one of the things that stuck with me when I talked to you a couple of years ago is that you, you said that without an idea in this country, you essentially don't exist. Right. And so can you just just give me a short rundown of some of the things that people don't realize you need an ID for under normal circumstances, like under normal non pandemic circumstances? Yeah. I mean, you know, everything from you need an ID to get a job, a bank account, housing, a lot of homeless shelters require ID to let you sleep there at night. A lot of food banks require ID to uh, allow you to get food. Something that is relevant both during a pandemic and before one, you need an ID to seek medical treatment. So, I mean, really, if you just think about all the things that you pull your ID out for, it's, you know, it's really everything. We actually, we keep a long list because people keep, you know, always send us things. It's like, if you have a uh, want to visit a child in I'm in a hospital in a pediatric ward, even if your family, you have to have ID, right? It's just it's just everything. You know, if you want water and from the government in Flint, then you have to show ID. It's literally, you have to show ID for everything. And so um, when you don't have it, your ability to escape poverty, your ability to feed your family, your ability to have a place to sleep at night is really hindered because you don't have the ID you need to do that. Yeah. So one of the things that your, your org has been affected by is the fact that I think the way that you help people get IDs, you know, is you, you go into their homes, right? And it's a pretty intimate, sometimes a pretty intimate job, right? You have to go into their homes, look to boxes and birth certificates. So I imagine that that has been affected by the fact that we all have to socially distance now. Yeah. And I mean, we spend a lot of time in shelters and prisons and uh, schools. I mean, a large percentage of the folks that we work with don't don't even have regular homes. So we're in community centers, we're in churches, we're in food banks, and all of those places have been closed. So yeah, our operations have been grounded for several weeks because we're we're fully grassroots. It's just person to person, you know, sitting down with someone, ordering their birth certificate, driving them to the DMV, et cetera. And now, you know, DMVs across the country are closed. It felt strange because I was sort of making these decisions and I felt like someone from the CDC should be calling me. But I realized several weeks ago, like, oh, I, I think I should shut down operations. Like, I think that is the thing that makes sense. And I was talking to other friends who do this type of work and we were like, I really feel like the government should be telling us what to do, but they're not. And considering... Right how extremely high risk the populations we work with are. I mean, you know, uh, people experiencing homelessness are 30% more likely to have respiratory diseases, for instance. And so given how high risk the population is that we work with and the fact that they can't do things like self-quarantine or, or wash their hands regularly, and given, you know, the fact that we have a lot of volunteers who are retired, you know, we had to shut down. So it's now, you know, I, we have our teams. Luckily, we were already fully remote. So like meeting on Zoom, talking about Slack on day is not different for anyone, but we're working on a lot of sort of virtual solutions, both now, like there are still some things we're able to do. A lot of state DMVs are still, you know, online open for renewals and different things like that. And so, but we're also using this time to do a lot of training internally to sort of do a lot of reflection. You know, this is the first time we've ever not been in operation. So we're able to look at, okay, well, what have we done in the last three years? And what if we learned to really start to, you know, we're asking our staff to do 
do this like project of it coming up with all these ideas that are really amazing because we have time to sort of sit down and think. And then one of the things we're also really trying to do is work with our partners and work on the ground to see what are ways that we can help right now, even if it's outside of the scope of our work, like what are the needs of our clients and community right now? And are there ways that we can help with that while we're all grounded? Yeah. Another thing that we talked about offline was the fact that I was complaining and you were complaining. I think a lot of people were complaining about there are a lot of things that are coming out to help people, you know, additional resources. And of course, there's the stimulus package. But the way that they are organized and the way that they're they're managed, specifically the, the stimulus package checks, it leaves out the people who are at the margins, the very people that need this help the most. So let's just start with the stimulus checks. How is that a challenge with people who are on the margins and people who don't have an ID? In order to get one of the stimulus checks, you either have to have filed taxes in 18, filed 2019 taxes, or receive Social Security. Uh, but there are over 12% of the population that doesn't file taxes. And, and you would do that for a lot of reasons, right? If you make an income below the poverty line, which you could be working full-time minimum wage and still be making an income below the poverty line, then you don't have to file taxes, right? If you're incarcerated, you don't have to file taxes. There are a lot of people who don't have to file taxes, but because of that, they're not eligible for the stimulus check. And of course, those are the people who need the $1,200 the most. And then, you know, we've now extended the tax uh, filing date to July 15th, which is great. But the people who don't file taxes in the first place are less likely to have computers their internet at home, they're less likely to be aware of free tax services. Like there's all of these other things so that they're less likely to know because I haven't spoken to many experts who have realized and I can keep asking questions like, hi, do you understand that there are over 20 million people who don't file taxes and aren't eligible for these stimulus checks? And if the experts don't know, and it's not something the press is talking about, then the folks who aren't eligible don't realize that that they're not getting those checks unless they file taxes and they have to figure out how. So it's it's a real challenge. Um, It's something I think that is is really being ignored. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of a controversial thing to talk about, but, you know, I don't think we should be naive about the fact that there are a lot of people who aren't filing taxes because they are kind of living in the margins and, you know, they're just taking money wherever they can get because maybe they can't get a job because they have a conviction or, you know, they have a record or, you know, they're, they're working as babysitters or nannies or, you know, doing yard work. Those people aren't any less worthy of, of help during the pandemic. In fact, they need it more. more. Yeah. Not only do they need it more for themselves, but if we are thinking about, right, like all of the things we're asking people to do, like shelter in place, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, great, I get to stay home and drink wine and watch Netflix and Zoom. And it's kind of, you know, it's a little boring, but it's kind of fun. We'll all get through it together. We'll all watch TikTok, right? In order for this to end, we need everybody. I know I'm a TikTok person now. We need everybody to be able to stay at home. But stocking up at Costco is expensive. Not working is expensive. Being able to afford hand sanitizer, like all of these things are expensive. And exactly the people who aren't getting these checks are folks who are going to have to be out in society because they can't afford to just stay at home watching Netflix. And then that's going to slow down the flattening of the curve that we're all aiming for. So it's not just that those folks need, you know, this stimulus checks because it will help them more than almost anyone, but it's that it's the best for all of us. It's like when we shut down the water for people who can't afford to pay their water bill, yeah, that hurts them, but that also hurts society because that's the fastest way that we, you know, that disease gets passed on. And so we have to think about this 
just as much as a societal issue and a way that we help take care of our communities and the ways we help end this pandemic as we need to think about the fact that these folks deserve and need to have these stimulus checks as much, if not more, than anyone else. So one of the things that we talked about was how a lot of these services that, that, that people on the margins would use, generally like food banks and other services, they're being taxed now because the unemployment rate came out and it's like 6.6 million people have filed for unemployment. You know, all of those services are being taxed, right? And people, you know, who don't have IDs kind of rely on these services. I mean, one of the other problems is that, you know, we're now seeing lines and lines and lines of people around the block going at food banks, right? And so I think we had, what, 10.4 million people in the month of March who became unemployed. And that's just who file for unemployment. We know it's much higher because a lot of people couldn't even file. And so you have, you know, all of the people who sort of just normally go to food banks and rely on food banks in order to be able to feed their families every week. But now the numbers of people and the demands on the food banks are, you know, 10, 20 times more. And so that means that the people both who need it right now because they're suddenly unemployed have less access to food, but the people who have always needed it also have suddenly less access. And meanwhile, the food banks are, you know, desperate for donations and desperate for help and, you know, also have incredibly stressed, exhausted staff who are putting themselves at risk. Uh, So it's really, I mean, you know, it's really kind of a bad situation for everybody. Yeah. You know, where did I get the 6.6 million figure from? Was that just, um, so that was was this last Thursday. So last Thursday was 6.6. The Thursday before that was 3.3 and the Thursday before that was like 70,000, but like, yeah, all added up. It was, 10.4. Wow, 10.4. It's even worse than I thought. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that we don't talk about a lot, I mean, maybe because, you know, it's kind of taboo right now. We're worried about saving lives. You don't even have enough ventilators, enough masks. Right. But the fact that you started this org because of voter ID laws. I know you've branched out since then and people need IDs for a whole host of other things, but you started with the idea of, you know, countering voter ID laws by actually getting people the ID they need to vote. And that is going to be hindered now, right? And I think it is the most important election of our lifetimes. We are still figuring out what we're going to do. I mean, I, I literally do not have an answer about what the election's going to look like. And people keep asking me, and I'm like, I don't know, is your crystal ball working? Because mine's not. And so, yeah, it is... You know, there's a huge movement for vote by mail, which is fantastic, and we really, really need it. But the demographic we work with, vote by mail won't necessarily work for. And so, you know, we don't want people to go vote in person, and we don't know what the world's going to look like in November. And, and yeah, I am. We are in a space where we are really, really evaluating all possible scenarios and all possible options, and you know, working with and talking to a lot of other organizations. But a lot of this is what well, we just need to wait and see. We have to see how long this is going to go and what it's going to look like. Now, you know, we should be in sort of the peak period of getting folks IDs and getting folks registered and talking to them about voting, et cetera. And that's all going to be cut down, you know, so we'll have at most, what, two months before the election to do a lot of work. And then I don't, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know what November is going to look like. And if it's, if it's all vote by mail, then I don't know. I will 
pick up stacks of ballots and take them to shelters. I literally, Jen, I have zero idea. I think about this every day, you know, and then we see crises like we have in Wisconsin right now, uh, which by the time this airs, we'll find out what happens, but either they're going to vote tomorrow or not. And nobody's quite sure. And so, you know, this is, (laughs) this was already the most important election of our lifetimes, given the way this pandemic is being handled or the fact that we're about to enter the greatest depression. It's even more critical, not just for the Iron Throne, which, you know, fine, but also I think, you know, we're seeing more than ever how important state governments, how important governors are, how important state legislatures are. You know, we have both the House and the Senate, like there is just everything matters right now. So November is going to be more critical than I think we ever imagined. And we have zero idea what it's going to look like. Um, and I don't, I don't know what our work's going to look like. And so what we're doing is just making sure that people are trained and ready. I'm working really hard to make sure I can keep my staff on board and that we're you know, recruiting volunteers and that we're just nimble. And so whatever November looks like, we'll be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I meant. Like, I know that this would be peak time for an organization like yours to get prepared yeah. for November. You'd be getting IDs, you'd be getting people, you know, prepared, you know, for November and you can't do that. And so yeah. just in that one tiny small way, and it's not a small way, but in that one way, you know, it's going to affect the outcome of November. Regardless of how we end up voting, there are going to be lots of people who would normally have the ID to vote, if that's still required, who aren't going to have ID in November. And that, that for one, worries me a lot. I know it worries you, but it really worries me too. It, you know, it, it worries me. I'm worried on many levels. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> our staff and volunteers, and I have the most amazing folks because even when I said we have to be grounded, there's a global pandemic. They're like, well, what if we do this? What if we do that? Because everyone really wants to work and we're really concerned about what's happening with our clients right now and the communities we serve right now. And then, you know, also thinking about what November is going to look like. And it could be one of a trillion things, you know, and I think the thing that we have very much sort of accepted in this time, uh, and it sort of goes back to what I said about us reaching out to partners and looking at issues. And like right now, we're working very hard on a solution to this, this sort of stimulus check challenge and just saying like, look, yeah, our main mandate is to get IDs. But right now there's an emergency and we're going to help the people who we've dedicated ourselves to helping in whatever way that we have to. And so whether that's helping them file taxes and get stimulus checks or whether that's figuring out if we can take mail-in ballots to shelters or whatever it is, we are trying to be sure that we are able to to help in whatever way we can to get us all through this and to get as many people voting in November as possible, regardless of what that looks like. I want to go back to the stimulus package, for instance, because like you just mentioned that that's really one of the biggest concerns around what's happening right now, you know, getting people the help that they need. Is there anything that the listeners, the average listener can do to help? I mean, should we be calling our representatives? Should we be what, like, what should we be doing to help right now? Yes. So uh, one thing is absolutely call your senators and your Congress people. They are working on a fourth stimulus package. And the way that they've structured these are so bad that they're going to have to 
they're going to have to pass a million of them. Like we should just learn from Australia, which has done incredible things, but we never do. Um, so call them. And yet it's absolutely critical that you ask them to make sure that people who do not file taxes, people experiencing homelessness, people who are incarcerated, people who are no income or looking below, below the poverty line, that their needs are addressed in the next stimulus bill because they, their needs were not addressed close to at all there you know there were some activists who lobbied really hard and got a couple of concessions but they really need to address the needs of the most vulnerable people in this country and so that is the first thing i'd say um for us if you are a cpa or you've ever done the vita program with um, the irs the volunteer tax program then we would love to talk to you you can email me at cat at spreadthevote.org because we are working very hard to try to find a solution to this problem, or at least a way to help folks uh, file their taxes and get their stimulus checks. And we've got some things we're working on and would love to talk to any of you out there. And then the other thing that I would say is, so, you know, food banks and shelters, that's, their staffs are working, you know, quadruple time. They, they had to all volunteer activities are suspended everywhere, but they're still serving and it's just the staff and they are, they're working so hard and with fewer funds and more demand. And so, uh, what most places are asking for is don't drop off goods, of course, stay home. But if you can donate anything at all to your local food bank or to your local shelter, that is going to make a big difference because there is, you know, just think about all of the people in your community who are newly unemployed or about to be, and they're going to be going to these, these food banks and they're going to be, you know, many of them are going to end up at shelters. And so anything that you can, you can donate, even, you know, $5 is a couple of meals. So please, please help your local, your local food banks and shelters. Wow. That's amazing. Well, Kat Kelvin, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for all the work with Spread the Vote. You know how much I love Spread the Vote and the work that your org does. It's so crucial. It's so important. It's actually should one of my say, very first organizations. Yes. Yeah, should so we say, we should for say. A, But for full disclosure that you're on our advisory board. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. I felt this way before I, I was on I, the advisory <laughs> And that's why you're on it. I just feel like we should be honest with your listeners. Like, it's like hashtag Insta ad. Like, so I know. <laughs> well, I, you know what? Okay. What else do you want to be honest with them about? <laughs> oh, no, that's all. You, they that's don't even know okay, how, much, yeah. how much ice cream I've been eating during this quarantine. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So I am on the advisory board, but it wouldn't matter. Spread the Vote is an amazing organization and they're really doing really, really good work. Some work that was not being done before and they're helping thousands of people and it's amazing. So thank you so much, Kat Calvin. Well, thank you. We love your podcast. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for listening. The Electorate is independently created and produced by me, Jen Taylor Skinner. And of course, I'm the host. But I also do all of the editing, the audio and the graphics. You name it, it's on my plate. So if you enjoyed this episode of The Electorate, please help The Electorate grow by subscribing. Just hit the subscribe button on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Also leave a review for The Electorate on iTunes. Lastly, one final way to help The Electorate is by following The Electorate on social media. That's at Electorate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep up the good fight. <laughs>